So I predicted, you know, eight and a half million followers ago that the kid was going to be a star. <laughs> he was going to be a star. I love that. <laughs> David. Hey, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Let's start out with mailbag time. Mailbag time. <laughs> we got a really nice message from a listener named Deb Filioli. From where? On an Instagram. Instagram. She said, the last episode had me laughing out loud while driving and listening. <laughs> you and Amy are always fabulous interviewing amazing guests, but the two of you alone are such a hoot. Always enjoyable. Oh, that was really nice. thank you, Deb, that's very lovely. You get a free T-shirt when we have T-shirts to give out. <laughs> we don't have anything to give out, but you'll get one. Hey, so how was your I food two weeks? What would that be called? A a, a fortnight. How was your food fortnight? How was fortnight? my fortnight? That's <laughs> like a good that. one, isn't that's it? That's a really good one. How was your food fortnight? <laughs> well, it was good. I was in Florida for a little bit. Uh, mm. We had school vacation week and we went down to central Florida, Cocoa Beach, where my husband's family has a, a condo. His uncle has nice. a condo that he lets us stay in, which is great. <laughs> and we went over to Disney, which I thought... Oh, my. I thought it would be like an endurance experience. And it was actually <laughs> delightful. It was, I it was so fun, and I really wasn't expecting that. And food wise, you know, I've always been a big fan of Epcot because I love <laughs> wandering around the countries and right, um, yeah, to, to to do a world <laughs> tour in about what one acre. So goofy. Couple interesting things. One, the China Pavilion no longer has any Chinese employees working there from China because they pull everybody left during COVID and they never came back. So oh, wow. it's a little bit weird because it's like you go into the China Pavilion and it's a bunch of like surfer dudes. No, it's actually <laughs> elderly retired dudes. <laughs> it's very cute. They do their best. Yeah. But there is a creperie at the, um, the Pavilion de France. Oui, oui. Uh, and they have actually savory and sweet pancreps. So I came, mm -hmm. we went to the Ratatouille ride, which was cute. Mm -hmm. And they even have cider, which is, that's pretty good, right? Wow. To do like the yeah. Norman style, you know, buckwheat galettes with cider. Like, wow. good, good job. So that was fun. And then our friend, friend of the pod, Adam, who... Um, yes, who we adore. Who we love. In England. And he was our London expert when we did yes, an was. episode on where to eat in London. He was in town very briefly to visit yes. his family and I'm he so came jealous. over for dinner. I know, it was so, we missed so you. So jealous. <laughs> and I made dinner for him. So that was, it was great. I made kind of cozy comfort foods. Mm -hmm. And um, and did you guys go out? Because I know one of the things Adam wanted to do when he came back home to the Boston area. The Boston? The Boston, Boston area. Wow. I don't know where that came from. The Boston <laughs> area to have Duncan was to eat real New England food. Did he do that? Uh, we did not go out because I wanted to sort of have him over. So, oh. But I did make this, it's not New England-y, but it's a Swedish apple pie from my book, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like apples with a big snickerdoodle cookie baked on top. Oh, um, my. It's sort okay. of apple slices suspended in a mm -hmm. snickerdoodle cookie. It's very good. He enjoyed that. And we did have some blueberry wine from Maine. Um, oh. It was a sparkling wine. It was pretty tannic. Little it puckery, actually puckery? a little puckery, but it was good with chocolate. I wasn't loving it at first, and then I had Adam happened to bring some Cadbury chocolate over from London as a mm -hmm. hostess gift, and it was delicious. Which oh nice, so, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. David, how was your food fortnight? 
my food fortnight. Well, uh, for part of it, the one was away, as you know, in Uruguay, but he's back and it's Yay. wonderful to have him home. But there's not really... Well, you know, actually, wait, there is... Oh, this is going to be a rant, I think, here. Oh, wait, is this what? a moment of outrage and indignation? I, it, I've been making a lot of sourdough. I'm back to doing the sourdough. You, you're back on your... Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it again. I just feel okay. very guilty that I'm not doing it. And everyone else is, and they're getting better. Wait, everybody's doing it again? Yeah, well, I mean, I oh. look online and everyone's doing it. And okay. uh, Maurizio Leo's book, The uh, Perfect Loaf, came out, so I got really jealous. Oh, you know, right, and I'm right, like, right. oh, yeah. I miss all of that. But the problem is, there's been a double homicide in this house. Oh my god! Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> I allowed my sourdough starter to die. I had neglected it for so long, and it had all that black liquid on top. So this is like a manslaughter, not a, not a, man, a, yeah, a first-degree murder. Okay. Yeah, and so then it disappeared out of the refrigerator. Maurizio Leo's book came out, and I decided I was going to start all over again. So I started the starter first day. I put it in a beautiful weck jar, and I had the, the rubber seal. Very and I just nice for you. gently put the glass top on. <laughs> and I have a proofing setting in our oven, so I put it in the proofing setting in the oven, mm -hmm. closed the doors. Lovely was waiting. All of a sudden, I hear, oh my God, what's in here? And I explained to him what it was. He goes, oh, I'm so glad I didn't turn the oven on. I said, yeah, that would have killed it. What does he do 20 minutes later? Forgets entirely that it's in the <laughs> oven, turns it on. Then we're smelling this wretched smell coming from the kitchen. I opened it up. It was black. Wow. So this is the second murder because what was happening was the broiler, which is what heats up the oven, oh, Jesus. had been going for like 20 minutes. And so I took it out and I put it on the counter and I thought, well, I'll just take it out of the weck jar. It was so bad that the seal... It just it just sealed Melted. the entire thing shut. I could not oh, get it open. I had to God. throw the whole thing out. Weck jar. So it's and like everything. really a triple homicide. Triple homicide. Because the weck jar is worth a lot. <laughs> it's worth a lot. <laughs> so then, I started a new one. A friend of mine sent me dehydrated starter. I started it. But here, you know, here's the thing about starter. If you're a narcissist, you should not do sourdough bread. Right. Because all you do is you give and you give to the sourdough starter. You feed it day in and day out and day in and day out. And you have to be mindful. Oh, my God. I, there have been times I have been in bed and go, oh, damn it, I forgot to feed the starter. I get up yeah. at 2 in the morning to feed yeah. the starter. Yeah. Right? And I was at the point you have to feed it two times a day in the morning and at night. I mean, I, my cats don't get that much attention. Right. And then what do you get? It's all like, what about me? You know, what about what <laughs> I need? What about what's best for me? You know, from Dream Girls? It's like, and then I make the bread and it's this freaking pancake. Really? I mean, it's like this big. And oh, it got really like, wide. It was like, and then I did another one. It was the ugliest ass ugly bread I've ever made <laughs> and it they had no sourdough flavor and I'm thinking you know I do all of this and what do you give back to me right, nothing right right nothing and so right. I just I I, I want to swear off sourdough again I mean there was a time where I had the most buxom beautiful loaves that just opened up gorgeously I had ears every 
I just can't do it anymore. And I'm so tired of it. I'm just going to buy my own damn sourdough. I, I support you in that. I think you know, you. during the pandemic, when there was just so little input in our lives and yep. there was so little going on, the sourdough gave us a reason to get up in the morning yeah. or in the middle of the night, as the case is. And, you know, it was an organizing principle and it was great. That's a good but, point. It was, yeah. Yeah. But I don't want to owe that much. I, I just don't have room for it in my life. However... Mm -hmm. This is not outrage and indignation. I'm still absolutely passionate about my kombucha fermentation station. Yeah, but that's not as, you it's know. It's so easy. It's yeah. so easy. And well, it's just, good. I always have two big gallon glass jars going at any given time. Mm -hmm. I don't think any other kombucha tastes as good as mine. I, and <laughs> I think I it's so just myself. unique to, and I'm not saying I'm so good at it because the, the effort is not is non-existent. Mm -hmm. I think it's the like unique combination of bacteria and yeast in this SCOBY, the mother that right. you put, you the know, goby, that grows yeah. in there. And uh, I don't know, it just, it tastes fantastic. So it's the kind of thing where actually when we do travel and I come home, there's You're like, happy uh, to see it? I'm like really happy to have my kombucha again. And I'm, I'm thinking like, can I bring some with me? Like, can I have a little jar? <laughs> Like, can I have three ounces of my kombucha starter and then wherever we go, I could sort of get it going. Oh, that's nice. See, the thing for me is a sourdough starter is like a very lazy husband, like right. sitting on the couch and, uh, you know, all they do is two things, eat and fart. That's right. all they do in the jar is they eat and fart. And that's where the gas comes from. And it's like, you know, no, I'm not going to reward you for sitting on the couch and eating and farting all day. I'm just right. not going to do that. So I don't know. I'm going to try one more time. I mean, there was a time really, it was great to have it but you know i would worry i mean we have a cat sitter i'm so embarrassed to say this we have a cat sitter and i've actually paid her to refresh my starter <laughs> when, when we're gone i'm so embarrassed to say that because i was afraid that it was going to die on me oh so it's God. just too much work you know, yeah, just too much yeah, work. Yeah, forgive yourself and just make some simple white bread. You know, like make a nice milk bread. Yeah, or Jim Leahy's no need bread. You know, yeah. you oh, do it. Boom. That's great. Keep it Next in the fridge. Day. Fabulous. It's great. Anyway, any good food news for you? Uh, well, <laughs> I find this really interesting. You know how like food and fashion are to some extent diametrically opposed because yeah. the fashion industry excludes anybody who eats. So, yeah, they don't know. eat. Yeah. And all those models <laughs> don't eat. So, yeah. Right. So I always find it really funny when food weaves its way into fashion. Mm. So the hot coat of the winter is this puffer jacket designed by Rachel Antonoff. There's an article about this in the New York Times. So what's a puffer jacket? A puffer jacket is like a puffy parka, right? Like, oh, a, like down a downfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it has a print. It's black mm -hmm. with a print of farfalle on the fabric. So <laughs> Really? They are wearing oh, the yeah, pasta the that they won't eat. They won't eat. That's <laughs> Not a, really. So I wonder if she got this idea from the pasta queen. You know, Nadia Caterina Muno, right? You know the pasta queen? Yeah, yeah. She was on the podcast. Well, she wears this really beautiful blouse that's all different shapes of pasta. Oh, and nice. And it's very reminiscent of it. So I wonder if she got that. But that's funny. I wonder, Is it only for women? I guess because the picture's only women. Well, you know what? What is gender? What is gender, David? <laughs> I think that anyone can wear this coat. It's definitely not gendered. It is really very cute. Yeah. Anyway, so there's another thing I want to talk about about food news <laughs> yeah. is I predicted this. You know who B. Dylan Hollis is? 
the guy on TikTok. Yes, yes, I right? love him. From church bazaars, he gets these old recipe books from the 1900s, the 20s, the 40s, all the way up to the 80s and 90s. He has 9.8 million followers on oh TikTok. Oh my God. So I predicted, you know, eight and a half million followers ago that the kid was gonna be a star. <laughs> he was gonna be a star. I love that. <laughs> and he is, and his book is called Baking Yesteryear. You know, he's into cars and, and everything as well as all this stuff. And the book is a, a lovely book and giving him a shout out. I'd love to get him on the podcast. I tried, by the way. So here he is. He's, I predicted it. He's a star. He's a star. <laughs> it's not out yet. It's going to be coming out soon, but it's worth taking a look at. If you like those kind of vintage uh, you oh, know, I yesteryear, love. you know, Snickerdoodles is in there as well as like Lady Baltimore cakes and, yeah. and all these. Yeah. Oh, and weird, you know, tomato soup cake and all this. Tomato soup cake is there. The mayo cake is in there. Yes. Yeah. I love food history as seen through individual recipes. I love how American history or global history is reflected in recipes. And, yeah. uh, you know, I work at Yankee Magazine, which is almost 90 years old. So we have these archives going back to like World War II. That and must you be can amazing. See, it's amazing. And to see like how we're cooks you know, adapting to the lack of sugar, of like cane yeah. sugar availability and making, you know, honey cakes and all these kind of applesauce cakes, things, all, it, it's fascinating. Anyway, I love what he does because I'm really into that. Um, I, I am too. And the thing that's interesting about scarcity cooking or shortage cooking when you can't find ingredients is they used already made products and they combine them. And I used to be a snob. I would look down on, oh, all you're doing is you're not cooking. You're just basically combining foods. But mm -hmm. you know what? Some of those foods are really good. Yeah. And I don't think we should look down our noses at it because first of all, they have their place in history. Many people still like it. I mean, my gosh, we do this thing, Blizzard Beef, called Blizzard Beef. We made it this weekend. All it is, you sear a chuck roast, you sear it really, really well. Yeah. And then you halfway up with water to braise it. And you put in like half a bottle to three quarters of a bottle of Worcestershire sauce. That's and you awesome. Simmer it. That's all you do. And then you make mashed potatoes and it was it's great. And so we call it blizzard beef because anytime there's snow, Aww, we always make it. Oh, I love that. So I, I don't have that same snotty ass attitude. You used to. Oh my God, I was such I a snob. I know. It's like, how dare you make something with biscuit dough? Yeah. It's like, make your own biscuit dough, make your own butter. You know, culture yeah. your own cream. No, I don't do any of that anymore. Yeah, It's yeah. like, it's just, yeah. it's, if that works for you, it works for you. I like the idea that we're very ecumenical. If it yes. works for you, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you how to eat. I'm not going to say that you're eating poorly or badly. Maybe that's all you can afford. And so, yes, we sometimes even do, what is it called, a dump cake? Yep. Yeah, where you put the cake mix and you do the fruit. <laughs> the, we call it fruit delight, but something else. And uh -huh. then also with the um, fruit cocktail and the dry cake mix yes, and the yes, butter. Yes, yes, yes. And so I'll good. tell you, we've had people who were like, you know, fancy food people here. Right, And we right. put them in lovely little glasses with some Aww. whipped cream. They love it. They have no idea what they're eating. Aw, <laughs> I love <laughs> that. That it costs like 11 cents per serving. 
<laughs> I think there's a confidence that comes with having been a food writer or just being a cook for this many years that I don't feel as much like I have to prove that I can be fancy yeah. because now it's just about... That's a good point. Is it good? And also really understanding how busy people are and that food needs to fit into their lives. And it's mm-hmm. ridiculous to ask them. I mean, I, we talked about this before, but when I worked at Sunset Magazine out in California, you know, I was a newly married, young, 30s person who had all day to cook. And I, you know, that's all I wanted to do. So (laughs) our editor who had two kids would come in and be like, could you just do chicken breasts for God's sakes? Exactly. You know, know, when I started to cook and I was taking classes at, uh, which was back then Peter Cum Cooking School, which became the Institute of Culinary Education. And all I cared about when I invited you to dinner was not that you were coming to dinner and eat. It was that you're going to see what I can do. Yeah. It was my time to yes. shine. Yes. That's all it was about. It was about yeah. basically the David show. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, come to dinner, enjoy yourself. It's about the people around the table, not so much what's on the table. Yes. Although, you know, it's funny, David, uh, the flip of that is like when, so our friend Adam came to dinner. Right. Did you get nervous? Well, I had this moment of like, do I need to be fancier to prove like- That I can do this? Because <laughs> we had just flown in two nights before. I was kind of getting back into my routine. So I made those chicken meatballs with creamy yeah. Parmesan orzo from that website, The Delicious Dish, which I just kind of fell in love with. And my family loves them and Adam loved them. I did like bok choy with ginger, garlic, and soy sauce, mm. some cheese and fruit and crackers, and then the Swedish apple cake. But anyway- there was just this minute of like, wait, do I need to be fancier Fancy here to schmancy, like shows, yeah. show him that I can do more? I don't know, but he loved it and he had seconds and, you know, he seemed very happy. So. Well, you know, we need at some point to have a, an episode on <laughs> social media because people, when I put stuff online, you know, first of all, that photograph is very carefully taken and the burnt part <laughs> of the cake is in the back, you know, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's something called Photoshop. Right. And they're like, oh my gosh, I would love to eat at your house. It would be such an honor. And I'm I'm like, oh, dude, if you knew, I screw up every single meal. I do. There's always something about every dish I screw up. And it's okay. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're so mellow. We're so evolved, David. We are. It's amazing. (laughs) Let's take a left turn here because right now we're going to talk about a recipe that is actually not all about being easy and accessible. No. We are talking about a fussy fussy recipe that we're saying it's worth being fussy oh, about, the fussy right? and fid- fiddliness of it, yeah. Okay, and this is your viral chocolate chip cookie recipe that you did for the New York Times, which broke the internet and is still, how many years later? Oh, I think it's 15. I think I, it came out in 2008, right? Still Eight. one of the top recipes on their site. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it is amazing because... It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> pain in the ass cookie. I agree with you. I, it's a terribly but worth it. pain in the yeah. ass cookie. It is. It's kind of like us in our marriages, right? <laughs> pain in the ass, but worth it. But worth it. And you know, today, <laughs> Vaughn Vreeland, who did a video, he's done several videos on the cookie. He loves it. Now, everyone, this is the cookie that's based on Jacques Torres's chocolate chip cookie. That's the base recipe. Anyway, he made this other video maybe about three weeks ago going through all different variations that people have suggested mm. to him and other things that he kind of interpreted in the recipe. Right. He's on the Today Show today. Really? Doing the cookie. Yeah, that was so, it went so viral again. He's on the Today Show. Of course, I'm not there. No one's asking me any questions. I feel like you questions. and he should be on there <laughs> I together, should be on there, maybe? but New York Times isn't asking me to do anything, damn it. 
And so, yeah. And uh, so I'm just glad that it has a life of its own. Yeah. Know. Well, <laughs> well, maybe not. I am a little bitter. You. Be a little bit bitter. <laughs> I'm That's a little fair. bitter. Okay. I am. I'm bitter. Because, 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 not just your ego, but how, how long did it take you to develop this recipe, David? It, it, thank you for asking. It took me more than six months. Okay. So you put a lot of months. work into this. Six months. And I had severed my Achilles tendon. I had had repair surgery, but I had walked on a, a severed Achilles tendon for two months. Wow. And then, because I was in Portugal, and then it was repaired here in America. And then I met with Pete Wells, who was the editor of the dining section at that time. Right. He wasn't the restaurant reviewer. And I had just won the James Beard Award that year for the piece on fried clams, the fried clam trail. Right. right that you wrote and he for the says, Times, right. what do you want to write about now? And what are, tell me anything you want. And then I said, chocolate chip cookies. Uh -huh. And he's like, what could you possibly add to the knowledge of chocolate chip cookies. And I said, Pete, I have no idea, but I really would like to find out. And so I had this trolley that I had to put my knee on and like walk with the other foot. And <laughs> it was like a trolley that you put your leg on. And I went to all these places on a trolley through the winter. Oh my God, wow. January all the way through till June. So I went to Jacques Torres, of course, and then to Maury Rubin at City Bakery. RIP, it's no longer around. Ruby and Violette. I went to Levin bakery. I went to Insomnia Cookies and like a bunch of others. And I contacted a bunch of bakers, all professional bakers mm -hmm. online and cookbook authors like Dory Greenspan. So it took a long, long time, a lot of failure, even though the recipe works. Right. It, to get it to that next level, it, it was a lot of failure. Okay. So let's just put this in context for listeners. If you mm -hmm. were to say, I just made a batch of Toll House cookies from mm -hmm. the back of the bag. Right. And they've just come out of the oven. And on another tray, I have a tray of your cookies mm -hmm. just out of the oven. On a scale of one to 10, where mm -hmm. do they rate? <laughs> the Toll House? Yeah. I would say they, they would rate negative five. I, really? I just, yes. I, even and though yours are a 10, you would say? I would say, yeah, that these are, it's kind of like our cookies because there's so many people involved with that cookie. But this cookie, I would say, is a 10. Yeah. Wow. Maybe okay, even 11. So Wow. So, so you're saying it's worth it. It's worth you the know, effort. It is worth it. And it is a pain in the ass, but it's right. worth doing it. And the thing, the reason why we wanted to talk about this today, and we did a live on Instagram, if you guys want to go over to my Instagram at David Leet and watch the whole live, we do go through all of this. The thing is people say, oh, look, I made the David Leet chocolate chip cookies or, oh, look, I made the New York Times chocolate chip cookies. And no, they didn't. Right. Because they're they're making changes to it. Right. And it's not the actual experience of the cookie. So what I wanted to do is put out there what you need to do to really duplicate it. Mm -hmm. That was the most important thing. Because people are saying this is the best cookie I ever had, and they're using they're using Toll House chocolate chips. Right, right. And that's a compound chocolate. So you know they don't melt. They're made with hydrogenated vegetable oil. It's just a very different experience. Okay, so let's take people through this. But just to wrap up the backstory, yeah. the dominant source material is Jacques Torres, but then you made a significant change. Yes, where all the changes that I made, I made nothing to the amounts or anything like that. It was all about technique. Okay. And then there was one ingredient swap. Okay. Look, the internet may be one thing, but you and I are old school. We give credit where credit is credit due. Credit is due. So we just want to make sure we'd like, we're being diligent about this because David is an honest person. So yes. 
Okay, so we're saying the formula, the ingredient list is from Jacques Torres, but let's talk about what you learned to make the perfect chocolate chip cookies. What are the six principles or elements of a perfect chocolate chip cookie? You have done your homework, girl. (laughs) You've done your homework. So there are six rules to making this particular perfect chocolate chip cookie. And you could use it for the base of other cookies, but Uh you need to use these rules. So the first one is, it was Maury Rubin who said, basically, if you don't eat a chocolate chip cookie warm, you're wasting it. Because Mm -hmm. like puff pastry, you want to eat it that day. Three Mm -hmm. days later, a croissant doesn't taste the same. So you want to eat a chocolate chip cookie warm, preferably just out of the oven, because it does add something to the flavor. It really is the way to eat a chocolate chip cookie. Would you reheat five-hour-old chocolate chip cookie in the microwave? Oh, yeah. You definitely can reheat because Jacques Torres in the store that he has or had near our apartment because the big store in his big bakeries downtown is they have a small uh, warmer that they had the cookies on. Oh, neat. That always kept them nice and warm. Yeah, you absolutely can reheat them, but you want to have that. So there's the melted chocolate and there's just that wonderful softness in the middle and the crunchiness on the outside. Okay. All right. So that's number one. Eat them warm. Okay, that's easy. That's not fussy. No, it's not. And anybody can do that with any cookie. So that's an important thing. The second one is the hydration rule. This is really freaking fussy. Right. This is massively fussy. And boy, does it make people pissed off because they have to wait. You need to make the cookie, this particular cookie, dough. And you can do this with any dough, but you need to refrigerate it. That's okay. the big thing. You have to refrigerate. How long do I have to delay my gratification? 36 hours. Oh my God. I know. It's just not fair. I know. Life's not fair. Deal with it. But the <laughs> thing is, what happens when you do that is that the liquid from the egg and the liquid from the vanilla, what happens is it starts to hydrate the dough and it changes it. It makes it a bit more crumbly, the dough itself, but it changes its structure. Mm-hmm. And it also, the sugar starts to dissolve. So mm-hmm. something chemical, I'm not a food scientist, but something happens. And I tested it at zero hours, meaning mm-hmm. I, I made the dough and I baked it. I tested it at 12, I tested it at 24, I tested it at 36, and I tested it at 72. Okay. And what I did was I had a backtrack, so I made all these different versions, but they all went in the oven at the same time. Okay, right. right. And the thing about it is, 36 hours is optimal. I don't know why the New York Times now has 72 on the recipe. They've changed it. And Mm. it's gone out there in legend and lore that it's 72 hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that happened. It's not 72. It is 36. Because at 72, it's not as good? It's just diminished returns. It's maybe a tiny bit better. Do you really want to wait another day and a half? I right, don't. right, right, right. And so yeah. 36 hours is absolutely ideal. And the texture is different and the flavor is different. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And in that time, there's all kinds of things happening, right? There's yeah. hydration. So like you said, the liquid mm-hmm. or the water from the egg is like distributing evenly, but there's also some relaxing of the gluten in the dough yeah. in the flour and there's and all kinds of things. flavor differences. So there's yeah. a deeper shade of brown. So it browns mm-hmm. better the longer it's in there. And then there's a richer, more sophisticated taste. There's like a stronger toffee flavor. Mm-hmm. They have hints of toffee. And then there's all, definitely a brown sugar presence. And then when you go the full 36, it's almost like panuche flavor. It's just, mm. it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. It's richer and more nuanced. And there's wow. just more going on than just sweet 
Yes. You know, yes. and that's why you really want. And also the texture differences too, because what happens is the texture changes and that kind of brings you into the size rule, which is, you know, bigger really is better. <laughs> Men have been right all along. Bigger is better because when you have these six inch cookies, it allows for three distinct textures and flavors. Okay. So right. you get your middle, which of course is that, think about a bullseye with the dot and then you have like a white ring yep. around it, then a red ring around mm -hmm. that. That's what these cookies do. So you have that center, which is gooey and ooey and chewy and marvelous and just you wanna rub it all over your body. Then you have the outside ring, which is crunchy and there's mm -hmm. caramelly flavors and it's right. marvelous. But then that ring in between, it's where they kind of meet. So it's not fully chewy. It's not fully crunchy. Uh -huh. And then it's that blending of textures and it's where you get all of that incredible flavor that starts to blend. So there's three distinct regions and three distinct kind of flavors. And if you nibble your way from the outside to the in, you really can, it's different. It's just, wow. it's incredible, I have to say. Okay, so we're halfway through. We've got eat them warm. Yep. We've got hydrate, hydrate them. them, let them rest in the refrigerator and make them big. Okay, mm -hmm. now number four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the one that really does piss people off a lot. That's is the, as if hydration didn't. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> is the two flour rule. Ugh. You have bread flour. You're such a diva. <laughs> cake flour. <laughs> and the thing about this is no one understands how hard I bent over backwards to try and make this work and make it easier for them. Right. In the original recipe, and if you look on Martha Stewart's site, she has the cookie, but it makes like 45,000 cookies. She has the original Jacques Torres The original recipe, Jacques Torres as, he, as okay. he does it. It's not bread and cake. It's bread and pastry flour. Okay. And so it has different protein contents. Bread has right. higher protein content. And then a pastry has low, right. much, much lower protein content. Right. So then what happens is you get the chewiness from the more protein and you have sort of like that more delicate from the lower protein. Now people say, but if you put together cake and you put together bread, doesn't that make all purpose? And it does basically, But yes. it's different ratios. Yes. Well, you have the same weight. It's the same weight. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I think because you have the bread and you have the cake, even though you're mixing it up, there's still cake and bread flour. And it's a significant amount. I think it's like eight and a half ounces of each. But the reason why Jacques does it is not to be difficult. Jacques is a human barometer. He can mm -hmm. like just stick up his finger and go, up, it's a little humid today or very humid. I'm gonna use more of, I think he uses more bread flour at that point or maybe more pastry, I'm not sure. So every day that proportion changes so he can get consistent results. Right. So at the times, Pete and I were like, what are we gonna do? And I said, you know, Jacques, people are not gonna wanna go and buy pastry flour. It's just too hard to find. It's, it is really hard to find. Really I, hard. And, I, yeah. you, and you said, I think that it's usually whole wheat pastry flour. When I've gone to Whole Foods to buy pastry flour, I mm. could only find whole wheat pastry flour, which is very, very different. Very. So yeah. I said, can we make it something else? He says, make it cake. And the reason okay. why Pete said, let's go with this is Pete wanted to honor Jacques' two flour system. 
So mm-hmm. can you use all-purpose? Yes, I've done it. I still try to use the, both the cake and the bread or the pastry and the bread, but I have used all-purpose in a pinch and that's perfectly fine. But that's okay. just where it comes from and I wanted people to understand that there really is a reason because sometimes he might use three quarters of pastry or three quarters of, of bread. Right, and that's right, right. what he does. Wow. Okay. So, and uh, let's just difference between bread flour, cake flour. Bread flour. I'm just looking this up. Has 14 to 16 percent protein, yes. and right. then all-purpose has 10 to 12, and cake flour has seven to eight. Right. So when you, I imagine what he is doing and what you're doing in this recipe, you're just creating a custom protein blend content. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think if you do the math and you use the certain ingredients he does, I think it falls slightly under, so it's a little more tender, but still has a lot of chew to it. That's great. Uh, so anyway, okay. that's that's right. uh, that's a full reveal, people. I'm just you know confessing everything. <laughs> I could have gone and said, "I'll oh, use all-purpose flour," but it wouldn't have been true to what Jacques had done. Right. Okay. So and that's number four. Number five. What's number five? Number five. five. So this is the big one. This is another pain in the ass one (laughs) is the chocolate. I'm so sorry, people. I really do create a lot of recipes that are pain in the ass. I know I do. The chocolate. Now, Uh this is where this is the biggest mistake everybody makes. They go, oh, I made your cookies and they're the greatest thing in the world. And I see them on social media and it's uh, Ghirardelli chocolate chips or it's Toll House chocolate chips. That's not the recipe. Jacques uses a chocolate disc from Belle Collade. Murray Rubin did the same thing, but from Valrona. Their discs, they look like quarters, but they are couverture chocolate. And what is couverture chocolate? Thank you for asking. (laughs) Couverture chocolate is a chocolate you use for dipping truffles in to get that beautiful evenness. It's the outside, yeah. And that gorgeous shine. So it has so much more cocoa butter content. It has a minimum of 31% cocoa butter content. And just to, because people are hearing this, couverture, couverture chocolate, it's C-O-U-V-E-R-T-U-R-E. It's the French word for like covering chocolate. Yeah, so couverture, couverture (laughs) chocolate. And it, what it does is instead of, like, you know when you ever make a chocolate chip cookie, a regular one, the chocolate chips don't really melt. They stay pointy, little hats, yeah, right? Yeah. What this does, because it, it has so much cocoa butter, it just melts. So you get these lakes of chocolate. You get this these incredible lakes through the cookies and mm-hmm. you get strata. So when you break it apart, if you cut it, you'll see there's there's dough and there's, there's this lake of chocolate and dough and this lake of chocolate. So it does so much more and it's also just a higher quality chocolate. That, I think, if you changed anything, use all-purpose flour, I don't care. Make them a little bit smaller, use the correct chocolate. So it's couverture chocolate, and you can get it from Belle Collade as uh, couverture chocolates. You can get them from Valrona, and they're called Fevs, F-E-V-E-S. And I think, who did you say? Guitard also has them. Guitard, I think, also has couverture chocolate, but that's really what you should do. And then the last rule is the salt rule. Okay. Now, I can't say before me, nobody was using salt on their cookies. Uh-huh. I can't say that because they were. I got the idea from Dory Greenspan because she has, you know her World Peace cookies? They're so good. They're amazing. And they have salt on top. They're actually the Corova cookies from Pierre M.A., I'm pretty sure. And that was in her very first book, which was Paris Sweets. I think that was her first book. And then she renamed them uh, world peace cookies. But I first heard about 
salt on chocolate. When the one and I were in St. Petersburg in 2003, we went into Yasevli's Deli Delicatessen. And it's not like a sandwich delicatessen. This is where you get beautiful foods and chocolates and everything. Mm -hmm. And there were these bars and we got it and they had sea salt studded on top of them. Mm-hmm. And it was an eye opener. So I had forgot about that. And Doris says, why don't you put salt on top? Because it really makes the flavor pop. That really was the finishing wow. the finishing element. So you have a combination of four or five people contributing to that. Right, right. That's great. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So we're, all we're saying here is, of course, you can make regular chocolate chip cookies. Yes. This is like... Let's say it's a snow day or something. Mm-hmm. You have somebody coming over. You want to make something special. You want to put in the time. This is like the best chocolate chip cookie you'll ever make, but you can make other kinds of cookies. You can, absolutely. And the thing is, people say, I have to wait. Well, not necessarily. This makes 18, so take three out because they are, what, two and a half to three ounces each, uh, right. maybe even more. Uh, and so take a couple, bake them off. That's fine. You know, satisfy your your sweet tooth and put the rest in the refrigerator for the 36 hours and you'll see the difference. You'll never go back. Yeah. Now, you told me that a lot of people have come to you and said, I love putting brown butter in Mm. my chocolate chip cookies. What's your advice for that? Well, I don't think you should melt the butter and brown the butter and then let it cool to room temperature and put it in because you're putting a liquid in. That's a tremendous amount of liquid. What I think you should do is brown the butter, let it cool, put it in the fridge so it hardens. Mm -hmm. And then take that and then use that because when you're taking the room temperature butter, not melted, just regular stick butter, and you are whipping it with the sugars, you're whipping in air, which creates some structure. Mm-hmm. So when you're using melted cooled butter and you're pouring it in, you're melting the sugar. Right. And it's a different, it's kind of a different structure. So I would just chill it and then use it. And you're going to see that there's a huge difference. Wow. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, David, any other tips, anything you've learned? Because here's one thing that's funny about doing recipe development. Mm-hmm. This is certainly true for me. You yeah. might develop a recipe and say like, this is great, publish, but... Five years later, you might have this idea and come up you, with something, and you're yep. like, "Oh my god, it's even better!" So yeah, there are what, a couple. Yeah, one of them is I must have been having like a brain aneurysm when I wrote the recipe, and I said, <laughs> "Oh, take the whole thing and put plastic wrap on it and put it in the refrigerator." It's so hard to scoop when it comes time to make the cookies. Right. So you're so, saying like taking the entire ball of dough and that's how you hydrate it, let it sit in the fridge for 36 exactly. hours. Exactly. I let it sit in the fridge in the, the mixer bowl. Yeah. I just covered it with plastic. And no, that's it's just too hard. There's so much butter in there. It's just too hard to scoop. What to do is take them, measure the balls. Out, and I would weigh all of your ingredients. Absolutely weigh the flour, the butter, everything. You're going to get more accurate results. And then make the balls, weigh the balls, create them, and roll them up, put them in a plastic bag, and then put them in the refrigerator for 36 hours. It makes it a lot easier. The other thing, and this is going to be so hard to do on a podcast, which is audio, is the shaping of it. Right. Is what I do is I take the ball. So imagine the ball is a globe, like the the earth. You want to pull it apart from North Pole to South Pole. So you have a left side and a right side. Okay. And then turn those pulled sides or ripped sides upward. So it's really kind of craggy. Uh-huh. And then push the bottom of that together. And then any discs that are going vertical... Uh-huh. Take them out and put them horizontal because if they're horizontal, okay. they're going to melt into a nice puddle. If they're vertical, they're just going to kind of melt into this like little spot. Okay. And then the last tip is 
The recipe says, oh, and put salt on top and put them in the oven. Don't do that. Put them in the oven for half the time and they start to spread. The chocolate starts to melt. The butter mm -hmm. starts to melt. Put the sea salt on then and it sticks to the cookie and there's more surface to stick to. Interesting. Okay. Then put it back in the oven for the remaining time. Okay. These are the extra steps you can take. David, you've sworn off publicly. Mm. I'm holding you to it. You've sworn off sourdough today on this yeah. very day. For but sure. yeah, there well. are still some recipes that you'll go to the mat for. And one of these is chocolate chip cookies. Yes. Oh, and also too, do not ever please put nuts in this cookie. Nuts do not belong in chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. You could be the walnut council. I will say to you publicly at one of your annual conventions, you do not belong in chocolate chip cookies. That's your opinion, David. I know That's it is, but opinion. they just don't belong. It just, it adds a whole different thing to it. All you right, know? well, in your chocolate chip cookies, they do not have a place. <laughs> they do they, not have a place in my world. They are not good in these cookies. But I do love walnuts. <laughs> they just don't belong in I know, cookie. I know. I love, them in, I love them with chocolate. But yeah, okay, yeah. not in this one. Well, no. you know, honestly, David, I, this is cool because it is fun to go the extra mile to make something truly great sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've given us the tools we need to do that. And what I think is fun also, Ames, is for people to understand sometimes what goes into a recipe. You know, because there's so many recipes out there now. There, you know, there are a dime a dozen, but a, a dime for five dozen. But something like this, you realize, oh my God, the work that went into it, the collaboration that went into this, the thought that went into this, mm -hmm. and then how it changes over time and it improves because of all what you put into it. And yeah. sometimes I find that fascinating. I remember Julia Child talked about that with her van recipe. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how it changed over time. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the Coco Van recipe because that's another example. Her recipe has you cooking the chicken and you cook the onions separately all and the you parts cook the mushrooms separately. separately. So they all have their own flavors before mm -hmm. they go into the combination. It's a real fussy pain in the butt recipe, but, but it's delicious. It is worth it. Yeah, it's it kind of worth it. Yeah. yeah I agree. <laughs> Talking with my mouthful is produced by Over at Studios. And our producer is the ooey gooey, rich and ultra hydrated Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Over at Studios at overatstudios.com. And as always, if you like what you hear and want to support us, you actually can donate to the show now. On all the show notes on all the platforms is a donate link. And we'd love it if you'd help. Ciao. Bye, David. Oh my God! Nine point eight million. I would, I, I, I would have sex with a lot of very bad people to get that. But <laughs> I would.